Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 44. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about colitis, what it is and how to treat it. A discussion about the especially beneficial herb called milk thistle with specific doses. Cat scratch fever, what you need to know. And why we need to be especially cautious about restricting the use of a very safe anesthetic drug called ketamine. Now Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes, you can go to iTunes, search Veterinary Secrets, or also on Stitcher and Podbean. Go ahead and download the apps and listen. I definitely appreciate it if you subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You could do so on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. Lastly, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book and three free videos with hundreds of safe, natural, and effective home remedies. It's at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast. Colitis, what is it? Well, in colitis, you're going to see diarrhea, often with mucus and blood. The stool will appear to be jelly-like. There is usually frequent straining along with cramping and gas. Your dog or cat may also vomit and may feel sick. Most of the time, colitis does not last for long, although in cer- some circumstances, it can last for days. Often, the stool starts off normal and then finishes very loose. What, it, what is it? Well, colitis means inflammation in the colon, and there can be many causes. The colon has three main functions, the absorption of water, the storage of stool, and the further digestion of unabsorbed nutrients. The bacteria in the colon break down indigestible fibers and allow your pet to digest the end products. The causes of short-term colitis include stress, you know, such as after a move, dietary indiscretions, known as garbage gut. Causes of the more serious and potentially longer-lasting colitis include parasites, such as Giardia or whipworm, the cat parasite called Trichomonas fetus, exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, infectious feline viruses, such as feline leukemia virus, FIV, and bacterial overgrowth with a bacteria called Clostridium perfringens. The big point before we talk into solutions I want to make is that it's a very common pet condition, colitis. And often what you'll see, just sort of small amounts or a little bit of dabs of blood within the stool itself, often with that sort of jelly-like appearance. So it's very, very common, especially after our dogs have eaten something they shouldn't. And I would have many clients coming into the clinic right away. My dog is bleeding, for instance. Where in most cases, fortunately, most of the time, that's not the case. They've just got colitis. Um, So that being said, I want you to consider some of these at-home remedies. If your dog or your cat is especially sick, by all means, go get your veterinarian, have a look at them, examine them. But if that's not the case, you can consider some of these remedies. What, What did you consider? First of all, one that's called the 24-hour fast. Stop putting food into your dog or your cat for 24 hours. This allows the intestines to heal and regenerate. Always have access to plenty of fresh water. Um, with the cats, I wouldn't want you to stop for any more than 12 hours. After that 24-hour period in our dogs, then you can introduce a bland food for the next 24 hours. That's considered day two. This would include something like plain cooked white rice for dogs, eating equivalent cups of rice as their normal diet. For cats, protein is essential. Try cooked chicken breast with the rice. After a day of the bland food, mix half of the regular diet and half of the bland diet. That's on day three. By the end of the day three, you should be able to back to their normal diet. Firm with fiber. A dietary fiber absorbs water in the intestine, which helps to decrease the diarrhea. Ground flax is a great source for dogs at a dose of one teaspoon per cup of dog. Cam pumpkin is a great source for your cat, one teaspoon per day. FOS or fructicolo oligosaccharides. These are carbohydrates which involve fruit sugar attached to glucose. These are digested in the large intestine and promote the growth of the good bacteria. Certain diets are high, higher in these. This is helpful for dogs and cats with recurring bouts of colitis. Probiotics. These are the, the key, key natural bacteria that, that are there, in the, especially in the colon, 
helping your dog or your cat's immune system function normally. And those are the things that are helping sort of break down, utilize some of the nutrients. Probably the most effective one, the most common one is lactobacillus acidophilus, both for our dogs and cats. When you're looking at dosing these, you might want to be looking at 100 million CFUs. Those are colony forming units for 10 pounds of body weight daily. Some of the human remedies. Pepto-Bismol is an old standby that can be effective for dogs. The dog dose is one mil for 10 pounds of body weight given three times daily for no more than seven days. Imodium oboperamide is a relatively safe or the counter antidiarrheal drug for dogs and for cats. And the big thing, if you've got a dog that's a herding breed, you know, for instance, such as a border collie, etc., um, you don't want them to be on loperamide. When we're looking at doses here for cats, it's 0.25 milligram for 10 pounds of body weight three times daily for two days. It comes as a liquid of one milligram for five mils, meaning you can give one mil to a 10 pound cat three times daily. For dogs, the dose is 0.5 milligrams for 10 pounds three times daily, meaning if you're gonna give your 40 pound dog one two two milligram tablet three times daily. Some of the herbs to consider, there's a few different ones you consider. One is chamomile, useful for mild indigestion, dosing at two drops per pound of body weight three times daily. Red raspberry, the leaf and the fruit, you can dose it at one drop per pound of body weight twice daily of the tincture. Slippery elm, you can only use as a dried herb. This is helpful for chronic diarrhea, such as inflammatory bowel de- disease in dogs and cats. The dried herb dose is 20 milligrams per pound of body weight twice daily. And then there's one homeopathic can consider. The biggest one I find it be most useful in veterinary practice was arsenica album. It's for foul-smelling diarrhea, often vomiting is present. And the biggest point is I find it so helpful in these dogs that have gotten into something otherwise known as garbage gut, and often the result is colitis. You're looking at a dose of 130C capsule for 20 pounds of body weight, and in an acute situation that can be given every two to four hours. And the last sort of herb I wanted to mention, and this is one where we see sort of ongoing chronic cases of colitis, such as in inflammatory bowel disease, and that would be the use of the herb milk thistle. It's one I'm going to talk about in the next part of the podcast, um, but they're actually been using it for these dogs that have IBD, and we're looking at a dose of 100 milligrams for 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. Now let's get into the second part of today's podcast. It's sort of segued in from that last thing, remedy we just discussed, and that's milk thistle. Milk thistle for dogs, it has powerful antioxidant effects that can help reduce the symptoms of liver disease, diabetes, and inflammatory bowel disease. I often advise using it in veterinary practice. I had many positive results. In particular, it was with these dogs and with cats that had primary liver disease. And recently, I just finished using an extended course of my dog, Lewis, and he's doing great on it. So what are the some, some of the benefits of milk thistle? It's a flowering plant from the aster family, which includes daisies. It's of European origin. Milk thistle was once used as a liver tonic by the Roman emperors. It's one of the few herbs used in conjunction with conventional Western medicine for people. The active ingredient is silmarin, which makes up about 80% of milk thistle extracts and powders. The uses for dogs are similar to those with people. Milk thistle, milk thistle has demonstrated effectiveness in protecting the liver against toxins and stimulating growth of cells to replace those that are killed or damaged. Milk thistle is also a powerful antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. In humans, milk thistle is used primarily for treating liver disease, such as cirrhosis of the liver, but in dogs, it is also being successfully used in the treatment of diabetes and IBD, inflammatory bowel disease. It reduces inflammation of the liver and bile ducts that occur during IBD, and it helps to stabilize the red blood cells affected by diabetes. 
So what are the, some of the uses of milk thistle in terms of that you should be thinking about? Well, currently veterinarians are prescribing it to combat liver disease, diabetes, and IBD, as we just talked about. Many different types of medication, uh, such as the anti-seizure drugs, you know, barbitol, or else the medication used for dogs that are hypothyroid siloxin, it can cause, they can cause liver damage after long-term use. Because these conditions aren't often curable, dogs are required to stay on these meds for life, which may eventually cause irreparable liver or kidney disease. Many, many veterinarians are suggesting regular doses of milk thistle during drug therapy to improve the liver function and prevent problems that occur later. However, some herbalists believe that long-term use of milk thistle may disrupt liver function and recommend only in treatment of an existing disease. And generally, my experience in terms of using it has been to prescribe it once there has been an issue, not preventively ahead of time. Milk thistle can also promote faster recovery from adverse reactions to vaccines and illnesses such as parvovirus. Also, secondary side effects if we have our dogs on the non-sterential anti-inflammatory drugs, um, for instance, such as Remedil, Medicam, etc., that can secondary affect the liver. The antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties of milk thistle can help your dog recover much more quickly. Research even suggests that milk thistle might assist in the treatment of cancer. Showed that the effects of milk thistle protected the body from tumor promotion. There's a there, this research provides hope that milk thistle could be used with chemotherapy and radiation to treat cancer, helping our dog's body recover more quickly after such treatment. It can be easily acquired at health food stores. The pretty common dose that I prescribed in, pack, in practice was 100 milligrams for 10 pounds of body weight given twice daily. And it comes as an easy to give cap. So that's what I've been dosing my dog with. Um, he, he, based on his weight of about 80 or so, 90 pounds, he was getting 800, I even a little bit more, like closer to 1,000 milligrams twice daily. Now let's get on to the next part of today's podcast. It's on cat scratch fever. Everything you and your cat need to know. To begin with, um, this comes up as a personal thing. My wife had a relative that died with this disease. Unfortunately, this is something that seldom happens, but you really need to be aware of it. So what is cat scratch fever? Something which occurs when a person is bitten, scratched, or licked by a cat infected with a certain type of bacteria called Bartonella. The infection usually doesn't cause severe complications. However, it is possible that a person who has a weak immune system can get seriously ill. Knowing the causes and symptoms can ensure that a person receives swift treatment. Cats can transmit several types of infections to people. Fortunately, seldom happen. Um, but this is sort of one of the ones that you really should be aware of. So what happens? So a person can get cat scratch fever if they if they are scratched or bitten by a cat that is infected with this bacteria, Bartonella. It, it can live in your cat's saliva and it can also be passed to a person an open area of the skin. People are most likely to experience cat scratch fever in the fall and winter where they're inside and playing with their cats this time of year. Kids are more likely than adults to have the condition. They can play with cats more roughly, making them more likely to be scratched. What are some of the symptoms? Cat scratch fever usually doesn't cause symptoms in the first few days after a person is exposed. During this time, the bacteria are multiplying in the body. About three to ten days after a person is scratched, they may notice a small bump or blister on the affected area. Doctors call this an inoculation lesion. These lesions are commonly seen in the hands and arms. Cat scratch fever symptoms usually appear a few days after the bite, lick, or scratch has happened. A few weeks later, a person will see the lymph nodes near the lesion swollen or tender. Lymph nodes themselves, either they are, these are the little small nodules responsible for filtering bacteria, and they actually have your dog, your cat's, our own immune cells. They usually feel like small, spongy, round, or oval bumps. If a, if a person was bitten or scratched in the arm, the lymph nodes under the armpit usually appear very swollen or tender. Sometimes the lymph nodes swell as much as two inches across. They may be warm to the touch, pus-filled, or red in color. The lymph nodes may remain swollen for anywhere from two to four months after the initial infection. Most people only have swollen lymph nodes as a symptom. The other symptoms associated with cat scratch fever include 
stomach pain, loss of appetite, fever, tiredness, headache, joint pain, rash, sore throat. They can be hard to diagnose as the symptoms are similar to a lot of other conditions. Doctors can order blood tests, specifically testing for cat scratch. So what is the treatment? In most cases, it's mild, nothing needs to happen. Just symptomatic treatment, like you treating yourself for a mild cough or cold. Um, in more serious cases, a specific antibiotics can be prescribed. And, you know, some of those at-home treatments is, you know, rest over the counter pain relievers as needed. Um, once you've had it once, you're not going to get the disease again. So how do you prevent transmission of the disease? Well, the big thing, obviously, is one, preventing yourself from getting seriously scratched or bitten from a cat. And so just encouraging your kids, especially, to be a little more gentle with your cats or your kittens. And two, it actually transmits from cat. The cats actually get the, the actual the bacteria, this Bartonella, via flea bite. So actually, it's, the host is fleas. So if we can properly control fleas in our cats, we can minimize the chance of your cat having Bartonella, thus you or your kids being exposed to it. That being said, according to the CDC, an estimated 40% of cats carry the, the bacteria Bartonella at some point in their lives. Most of the time, cats carry the infection and they don't show any signs of illness. Occasionally, some cats can actually get sick with signs of the disease. Um, so they can have serious secondary inflammation, difficulty breathing, inflammation in their eyes or mouth, urinary tract. Fortunately, that's very, very uncommon if your cat is to ever have be ill from that condition. Once again, there are antibiotics that can be used to treat them with. So the big point of all of it is being aware of it. Yes, it is a Pretty common bacteria, Bartonella, 40% of cats will carry it at some point in their lives. Um, and, yet, and it's a real condition that we can actually get from our cats. But just knowing some of those common clinical signs. And really, really, if one thing I can last emphasize in all this is, you know, adequate flea control for so many other reasons, this being one of them. So let's get on to the last part of about today's podcast. It was about a drug called ketamine, an essential veterinary medical drug that doesn't need further controls. So here's a paradox in the medical. Some of the drugs that have dramatic medicinal and pain-related qualities can also be the most dangerous if they're abused. This is well known for drugs like morphine and cocaine, which were openly sold across the counter before the adverse effects were widely, re widely recognized. Such drugs are now controlled globally by international agreements. These make it that the supply of the use of the products difficult or impossible when they're needed for medicinal purposes, but they do achieve the goal of limiting the social damage that would be caused by unrestricted availability. So what about ketamine? It's a very unique anesthetic drug. Recently, pressure has been applied to have this new drug added to the list of globally restricted medicines. It's an anesthetic drug called ketamine. It's currently easily available, and it's widely used every day by veterinarians and doctors across the world. I use it commonly in veterinary practice. It's a very safe anesthetic drug, which is not depressed breathing or respiration or the circulation, and it can be used without oxygen, ventilators, electricity supply, and the other support systems that are needed for most common other anesthetic drugs. For these reasons, ketamine is the only anesthetic suitable for medical and veterinary use in the developing world. It has a particular role in areas of natural disasters and conflict zones where infrastructure is limited. So just imagine during a war zone, like what anesthetic drug do you give? I mean, so good for in that reason alone. In the veterinary world, it's used daily. You know, I used it daily. We, we use it to induce anesthesia and sometimes even maintain anesthesia. Um, especially we would often use it, I would use it as an anesthetic induction drug, ketamine in combination with Valium. The problem is it can be abused as a recreational drug. You know, it has profound effects on consciousness and get, it induces some type of trance-like state, providing pain relief, sedates, also memory loss. Yes, that explains part of the reason why it's effective as an anesthetic drug but it has this sort of recreational appeal. It's known as the drug name Special K. It was widely used in clubs and dance venues. The transient pleasure of any short-term buzz is countered by the serious health issues 
including addiction and bladder damage linked to repeated use. Um, there has been a death of a, n- a number of teenagers. It ultimately has led the UK government to reclassify ketamine from a Class C to a Class B banned substance in 2014, along with cannabis and amphetamine. So the here's China is now calling for international strict controls of ketamine. Unfortunately, unfortunately, there's a country that have seen it being abused, and they're saying we should ban it, but not recognizing the huge benefits of it. No question, many veterinarians and doctors are vigorously arguing against further controls on ketamine. There really is no good alternative to this drug. And I think of all the different drugs in veterinary practice, and there's some new ones that have come out, and they have some serious secondary issues in terms of you know depressing respiration. I mean, I've seen these, for instance, and I won't name the actual specific drug, but seeing regularly being used in veterinary practice now, where you inject it and you actually see, well, actually see these dugs, their tongue becomes very blue and cyanotic. It so depresses their respiration. So, like, makes them very hypotensive as well as a low blood pressure. I would never want to be giving that to my own animals. You would not be comfortable giving it to clients' pets, yet that's being used now. In part because of, you know, these newer drugs. Um, some of the claim is that they're, quote-unquote, they're not restricted or controlled. They don't have the same abuse potential. But I just don't, don't see the point if you have a, a safe option such as ketamine. The last thing, I, mean, I think the big point is one, just being aware of this, knowing that you know, if you have any chance, any way to have any input on it, you know, talk to your vet, ask them what they use for induction or what they did. Do they still use ketamine? Encourage them to do so. So you guys, thanks for listening to episode 44 of the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, Feel free to leave a comment on my blog or send me an email at the podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. Um, I hope you found some of today's information interesting. Uh, if you have any, and I said, if you've got any questions, just either leave a comment or send me an email. Lastly, if you want to learn more, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book and free free videos with hundreds of safe, natural, and effective home remedies. And it's at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Thanks again for listening. I look forward to talking to you again next week. This is Dr. Andrew Jones.